and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is plain, unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy banner will be showered all around. Brethren, see for sinners round you come bring on the break of old. Death is coming, hell is moving, can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Sisters, will you join and help us? Moses, sister, aided him. Will you help the trembling mourners who are struggling? Hard with sin, tell them all about the Savior, tell them that he will be found. Sisters, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Let us love our God supremely, let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. And he'll call us home to heaven, and his table will sit down. Christ will turn himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. All right. Turn around and shake somebody's hand this morning and tell them you're glad they came to church.
Well, we praise we praise God that she came through that. Praise God for her and baby too for doing so well. We thank God for answering prayer. We lift them up in prayer. Y'all pray for that family. They weren't expecting to have to deal with all that. So pray that God will make a way, and we know God can make a way where there's no way. So we'll pray for them. Any others? Prayer requests this morning. I will ask that you pray for my wife. She's in the air right now flying back uh, from uh, from out in, in Nevada, and uh, they'll be back. They should be back by, I think they're supposed to land here in about 30 minutes or so. So pray they have a safe trip and uh, everything. And sh- and pray for my little girl. She's she's a little under the weather this morning. Pray for her that she gets feeling better. Anybody else? Any prayer requests? Surely we got some. Yes, yes. Anybody else? All right, well, if, if you didn't speak it, we'll just we'll just say it was unspoken, all right? All right, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Ask God to meet with us this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. Hey, we didn't mention Bonnie. Y'all remember to pray for Bonnie. she get back to us soon. Y'all be pleased. Praise God, he 
more about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher, be showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus on his throne, riches and glory all his own. More of his kingdom sure increase, more of his coming prince of peace. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, more of his love who died for me. Amen. to me when I possess no hope 
I used to I used to be well, let me just kind of share my testimony. I like I'll know most of you know it. But I grew up in church. I grew up I got saved at the age of seven years of age in uh in my bedroom at three oh seven Pierce uh, three oh seven Pierce Drive in Stamps, Arkansas. I got saved that night because I realized I was on my way to hell. I'd been out trick-or-treating the night before, and I got looking around all that stuff, and I got to realize, you know, witches and, and, and ghosts and mummies and, and, and monsters and things, that's not of God. I've been in Sunday school. I knew the truth. And I knew that stuff wasn't for me. It wasn't it wasn't of God. And, and, and God began to show me that I, some things that I had done in my life that were wrong and wicked, and I knew they were wrong. And you say, you're seven. How did you do anything so wrong and wicked? Well, people have sin in their life at seven. And, you know, I had done some things that weren't good. Uh, again, I, I told you before, one, one of my neighborhood friends suggested that we make some money by going around telling people that we were taking up money for the Boy Scouts. And we went around one Saturday. We knocked on about, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 doors. We got about $50. Little old ladies, they were glad to donate to the Boy Scouts. I mean, it was a pretty good scam. And uh, it worked real good till that evening when somebody told their mom what happened and we all got in trouble. So, I mean, I had been a part of some con jobs before it got saved at seven. But I got saved at seven years of age, all right. And I and I and I went to a Christian school. You think, boy, he must have been the finest Christian on earth. No, I was in there with a bunch of little Jesse Jameses because that's who they used to send to Christian school. If you've ever, and I think they used to have one here a long time ago. And if it wasn't just church run, if it was y'all letting in outsiders, you know what I'm talking about because they send all the little rebel outlaws, Jesse Jameses that can't get along in the public schools, to the Christian schools. They say, oh, maybe they help them there. So what you end up doing is you dump all these outlaws in with these good Christian kids, and you end up corrupting the Christian kids, and that happens a lot, and that happened with me. And uh, so I got out in this world and ran headlong into the devil, and uh, and I went through playing the rock band and country band and everything else and, and chasing after the dreams of this world, and, and I'd never grown as a believer, and I just wasted all the time that God had given me. And uh, at 27, God finally throwed my emergency brake on and said, you stop here, I'm fixed to take your life. And I turned it all over to God that night and surrendered to him. And, and three months later, I got called to preach. I, really, I didn't get called then. I recognized the call to preach three months later and surrendered to that call. And, and I've been serving him ever since. But I had been digging when I was when I was in the world of rock and roll and the world of, of, of partying and all those things I was doing back then. I, I was digging, and I was, taking, I was taking drugs and all kinds of things. I was trying to expand my mind, as they say. I was trying to get beyond the 10% that we all just use. I was trying to, and that's foolishness of me, so foolish of me. But yet I, here I was trying to trying to find out answers to things that God's Word already had for me, but I was, I was on the wrong trail. I was off with people that weren't interested in God, and I was confused. And I thank God that when I finally, when he finally, when he finally, I didn't do anything. My mother was praying for me is what happened. My mother was praying faithfully for me. There were other people in my life that were praying faithfully for me. And and God God convicted me. God hit me with a load of conviction uh, February 2nd, 1996. And I and I, I wanted to die. I felt like I was going to die. God hit me with so much conviction. And I and I just totally gave up. It was like we talked about in Sunday school. Their heart melted as wax. There was no more strength left in them. That was me that night. And I and I had run from God for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. For 20 years since I'd been saved, I was running from God. And don't ask me why I was running. I didn't even know why I was running. But I was running because I'd never understood the peace, the comfort, all the all the things I had in Jesus. 
I had never really fully grasped all that he had for me. And I, and I, again, as a foolish child, I was running. And whenever I turned, when I stopped running and I turned around, guess where God was? He was right there, arms wide open. And he, he said, you're mine and I, and I've got you. And, and you know what? Ever since that day, hey, me and him been like this right here. I'm going to tell you, but I said all that to say this. I didn't understand much about being a Christian. I didn't have much discernment. That's what that word means, is being able to tell what's good and what's not, being able to tell what you need and what you don't need, what's right and what's wrong. I didn't have much discernment because I hadn't asked God for it. I hadn't really tried to find out all the things that I needed to learn as a believer. I hadn't really dug into that. And I should have, but I didn't. And I wish so bad that young people would not waste their time. Young people would not spend years trying to chase after uh, the foolish things of this world, that we'd realize that that we need God more than we need to breathe. We need need him more than anything. And I say all that to get around to the, the point of the message. Our churches today are in a world of mess. Churches today are in terrible mess, and one of the reasons that churches are in a terrible mess today is because there is a lack of discernment in the church. People don't know what's right and what's wrong. Listen, and the reason for that is they haven't gotten into the Word of God. But this is not the time for confusion. Folks, this is the time for judgment. This is the time for us to know what's right and to know what's wrong. This is the time now to resist the devil, not to go along with him and placate him so that we can get more crowds in the door. Listen, we, we live in a time when Satan is waging war against the saints of God. He's trying everything he can to shut down freedom of speech in America. So because if he can shut down freedom of speech in America, he can shut down all the preaching. He can shut down the proclaiming of the Word of God. He can shut down the evangelism. He can shut it all down if he can shut freedom of speech down. And he tries to stop Christians from talking. He uses shame. He says, if you, if you try to talk about Jesus, people gonna, people won't like you. They'll hate your guts. He'll intimidate you. Uh, you'll lose your job. You, you'll lose your friends. Your family won't speak to you. Blah, 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 on and on and on. He'll try his best to keep the truth from being proclaimed. He'll even use violence or whatever means necessary to try to stop it. And you say, well, that ain't ever happened to me. But it's happened to a lot of people who've been out on the street trying to trying to witness for Jesus. I've known plenty of preacher brothers, brethren who've been attacked, who've been thrown in jail by a cop who didn't like what they were doing. I mean, I, listen, they, of course they got out. They won their case. But still, it didn't stop them from harassing, arresting them and, and harassing them. The devil will use any tactic he can to try to shut down the truth. And the only way to defeat it is to continue to hold to it and to keep proclaiming it. There ain't no way around it. You've got an enemy that you're going to face, and that enemy don't like us. But I'm going to tell you something. We have to hold to what God has told us. We have to hold to what God has given us. But in a lot of times, I say churches are in trouble, but many churches today, they use prophetic reasoning and allow the devil's corrosive teaching into their church, allow the devil's ideas into their church and practices into the Lord's church today. Why? Because, again, they want to reach the world, and they think if they let the world in, then the world will follow. No, that don't work. Today's children are growing up in a culture that shames you for being a believer. You may think something's wrong with you because you're a Christian. Everywhere you turn, waves of doubt crash upon your soul. But praise God, I have an anchor of the soul in my Lord Jesus Christ. Unless the waves crash, they don't affect me because I'm not anchored in the waves. I'm anchored in Jesus. We have a rock that we stand on that does not move, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let me get into this message this morning. 
Verse 21, as we read, it says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, we need a context for this. We need to back up and realize that verse 20 is what leads us into this. So let's look at verse 20 and verse 21. We looked at that last week. The verse said, despise not prophesying. Okay, that's prophesying, that's preaching. So he's saying, don't despise preaching. Don't, don't hate on preaching. Don't, don't look at preaching as a waste of time. Don't look at preaching as something you don't need. He said, don't despise it. And then right after he said that, he made this statement. He said, prove all things. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And this is a necessary caution that he's given us to prove all things. Because even though we're to put a, a high value on preaching, we need to be careful not to take things on face value from the preacher. We're supposed to take them and we're supposed to try them by the word of God. How many of y'all ever heard of the of the story of the Trojan horse? I know most of you went to school, you know the story. Okay? There's a city of Troy. And the Greeks have been trying to overthrow it and overthrow it and they could never get it. So this one time they came to try to overthrow it, they ended up leaving when they left, they left this great big huge wooden horse that somebody had built and rolled up there. The Greeks left, and the, and the people of the city of Troy, they're looking at it and say, hey, they left. They left that horse out there. What's that horse doing? I said, oh, no, it's pretty cool, though. Hey, let's bring that in here. Since they left, it must have been a gift. I don't know. It seems odd, but who knows? I guess they just left us a gift. So a bunch of them went out and said, ain't no soldiers around. This is okay. Coast is clear. They pushed this thing inside the city gates, and they shut it, and they went to bed. And when they went to bed, guess what happened? Soldiers inside the horse opened their hatch, and they came out, and they opened the gate, and they left the rest of the soldiers in, and while the people of the city of Troy were asleep, in came the Greeks, and they slaughtered them right there in their beds. Now, I want you to understand something. That same thing has happened in the Baptist churches of America. You say, Baptist church, I'm not addressing Methodist churches this morning. I'm not addressing Pentecostals or Presbyterians or Nazarenes or anybody else. I'm talking to a Baptist church this morning. And I know what's happening in Baptist churches because I'm familiar with them. But it's happening in Baptist churches all over America. They've let the enemy inside the gates, and the attack has begun. The name Baptist is seen as offensive to a lot of people. I don't know if y'all realize that or not, but it's, it's offensive and divisive. And all across America, we've seen Baptist churches that have taken that name off their sign. They pulled it down. They put up names like The Gathering at Willow Bend or uh, The Life Church or The River. I mean, all the, uh, the Oasis, all these names. That, uh, and what's the reason for that? I can tell you exactly why they've done that. I can tell you exactly why that name Baptist is offensive to people. Baptist people are historically known as people of the Bible, people that are biblically uh, found, people who don't deviate from the Scriptures. We believe it literally, accept it for what it says, and we take it and we practice it. And we don't bend on it. We don't bow down to it. And that's, I mean, I mean, we don't say so we bow down to it, but we don't, we don't bow away from it. We're not going to ever throw it down. We're not ever going to say, well, we don't need it. We love the Word of God. It is the standard. It is God's written Word to us. And because we believe it and we believe it is God's written Word, that's offensive to some people. And the reason it is is because we know the truth. We hold the truth. 
We don't want to be inclusive with those who don't believe the truth. We don't want to hold hands and yoke up with those who hate God and don't want our Christ. You know, Jesus gave a warning to his early disciples that they were to beware because there were false prophets coming who were going to pervert the truth. And, you know, as the sign changes and the standards drift and the doctrines are relaxed to bring in the larger crowds, everything changes. Used to, I mean, listen, in, in this city, I guarantee you, in this city, a hundred years ago, I say a hundred, maybe, yeah, probably a hundred years ago, or maybe maybe 75, 60 years ago, nearly every church in this town almost believed the same thing. But you see, over time, the world has crept in, ideas, different ideologies have crept in, and things have become more corrupt and more corrupt. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15 through 20. He says, beware of false prophets. That's liars, aren't they? That's what, exactly what that means. Which come to you in sheep's clothing. Well, they look like they're, they look like they're God's people, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So you've all seen the picture of a, of a wolf with sheep's wool over him trying to fit in with a with the rest of the sheep. I mean, listen, that's exactly what Jesus is describing. He's describing that kind of person who's imitating themselves to be a believer, but yet they're trying to come in and destroy from the inside. He said, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good, good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits shall ye know them. Jesus is warning because again, because this this has happened and it's still happening and it's happening today. I mean, I I'm blown away at how some people can just turn on the T V and sit down and listen to some some preacher, so called preacher on T V. And they'll just sit down. They don't even know him from Adam. They'll just sit down and listen to him like he knows what he's talking about. Oh, I like this guy. I like him. You know, and you know what they like? They like his personality. They like how he dresses. They like his backdrop, his stage he's got there. They like the way the show comes on, the music plays. They like all that. They like his fancy words. They, they generally go on whether they like his personality or not, rather than the content of his message. And I'm, what that reminds me of, that reminds me of people that, that they say they like a song, and I and yeah, it's a song, I know the words are, are nasty or something, and I tell them what the song's saying that they're listening to, and they go, oh, I don't listen to words, I just like the music, I just like the beat. That's the way those people are. They'll sit and listen to a preacher, they got an idea what he's saying, who's telling them false doctrine. They just like the beat. They just like the, the aesthetics. It's not the message. They're not getting the message. They're just getting all the, tra- the, the trimmings. Folks, that's, that's dangerous stuff. And they'll go to a church. Those kind of people will go to a church because it has a good kids program or because they have this program or that. It's not because of the word of God. It's not because the preacher preaches the truth. It doesn't matter. They don't even know what the doctrine is. They just go because it's got stuff they like. Folks, it's dangerous this hour we're living in. People are going off their feelings rather than off of the truth. And Jesus says, he says to the apostle Paul, that we're to prove all things. That means test it. Make sure it's the real deal. I can tell you right now, if somebody was trying to sell you some gold jewelry this morning, you'd want to you'd want to take it and you'd want to test it out. You'd want to take a piece of a magnet and touch it to it to see if it if it sticks. Am I right? Come on, y'all, help me. 
found I found a, a gold necklace of my daddy's here a while back. My daddy's been dead since uh, 1998. But I found a, a gold chain, rope chain he had that uh, when I was a kid, I, I went hot one time, and boy, I got in all kind of trouble. And, and you know, I found that thing. I said, wow. I looked at it and said, 18 carat. I said, wow, that's some money there. And I took a magnet sink. <laughs> yeah, it was electroplated. And all that trouble I got in over electroplated necklace. But anyway, there's they, a lot of people, they, they're, 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 their Christianity is just like it. There ain't nothing to it. It ain't real. It's, it looks pretty on the outside, but there's no substance to it. And God tells us not to go after that kind of thing, that we're to be careful, that we're, we're, to, we're to watch out. Because, again, he warned us from false prophets. And, again, there's many false prophets today, and they preach false gospels that will deceive a lot of people. I want to share some of them with you. I know y'all, y'all don't see this stuff probably because you don't you, – you get out you, – most of y'all stay in your Bible, and you ain't watching TV preachers all day long. But I want you to know what's out there because, see, this stuff – this stuff, it may be out there, and it may not be in Clarksville. It may not be in this church. But understand, this stuff's over in Dallas. It's over in the bigger cities, and it inches its way here all the time. Things that used to be in England 20 years ago are now popular in America. Stuff changes. Number one, I'm going to give you one of them. There's the prosperity gospel. I think that we're probably most familiar with the prosperity gospel uh, more than any of them. The prosperity gospel, it's a religious belief that financial blessings and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith and positive speech, which name it and claim it, you know, that, that idea, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Material and especially financial success is seen as a sign of divine favor, and the lack thereof is a lack of faith. So, their, their their whole idea is based around whether you got money in the bank and whether you're well. And they think, if you got that, hey, God's blessing you. Well, Bill Gates has all that. And I haven't seen him uh, doing a whole lot for the Lord. Uh, Elon Musk has that. I ain't seen him do a whole lot for the Lord. But the people who preach that stuff, that's your, that's your Joel Osteen's, your Creflo Dollars, your Benny Hens, your T.D. Jakes, your Joyce Myers, your Paula White's, your Kenneth Copeland's, all of them shysters on TV trying to tell you that you got to, if you're not well, then God isn't blessing you. If, if, if you're sick, then God's favor is not on you. If you have a problem paying your bills, then God's not blessing you. Uh, listen, sometimes we go through trials. God promised us that. He said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I will overcome the world. It's not about our material blessing and our health. That, listen, those things are going to pass away. But it's what's eternal. It's what's in us, our, our undying soul. It's, you're either going to spend eternity in heaven forever or you're going to spend eternity in hell forever. You're never going to cease to exist. But, there's again, there's the prosperity gospel. Then there's the social gospel, social justice gospel. The social justice gospel, it's a term, it, it usually re- refers to uh, uh, a movement that started back in the 19th or 20th centuries, but it's back today. Promoters of the social gospel, they, they seek to apply Christian principles to social problems with a focus on labor reform, other issues such as poverty, nutrition and health, education, alcoholism, crime, warfare, also addressed as a part of the social gospel. However, social needs were emphasized. The doctrines of sin, salvation, heaven, and hell, the future kingdom of God were downplayed. Theologically, the social gospel's leaders were liberal, overwhelmingly post-millennialist, asserting that Christ's second coming would not happen 
until humanity rids itself of social evils. Most of your so-called Christians in government believe that one right there. Most of them. Most of your politicians in government believe that one. Your Jesse Jacksons, your Al Sharptons are behind that one. I'm not going to either one of them to get anything. Amen? Then, and thirdly, let me mention this one. There's the unity gospel. You've never heard of that one, probably. Y'all ever heard of the Unitarians? You heard that name? Well, universalism, that's another term there. The unity gospel. I know we ain't seen that one much, but in, in, in Unitarianism, universalism, listen to this. You can bring your whole self, your full identity, your questioning mind, and your expansive heart. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Together, we create a force more powerful than one person or one belief system. Almost sounds like Saturday morning cartoons. Wonder twins activate. You know, we're, we're going to together, we're going to create something more powerful. In other words, we don't need Jesus. Together, we have more something more powerful than one person or one belief system. They said we don't have to check our personal backgrounds and beliefs at the door. We join together on a journey that honors everywhere we've been before. So all our sin, we honor all of that. All of the stuff we've done that we shouldn't have done, we honor all of that. That's the way these folks believe. Our beliefs are diverse and inclusive. That means, hey, if you're trans, transgender, come on in. We'll, we'll just let you be what you want to be. If you if, if you're, if you're, if, if you hate, hate God, wait, hey, just come on in. We don't care. It's fine. Bring whatever you got. We don't mind. God, in their eyes, God don't expect anybody to come and humble themselves and, 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 get, and, and repent of their sins and get, and get washed clean of their sin. No, just come as you are. That's the unity gospel. Listen, that's the devil's gospel. He just says, like, come, what? It doesn't make no difference. All roads lead to heaven. Come on. All roads. And I, I ain't even got to that one. That's the next one. The all roads lead to heaven gospel. The people that believe in this one, they they believe uh, they believe that Jesus is the way to get to heaven, but they also believe that we need to give people the freedom to believe whatever they want to believe about how they're going to get to heaven. Hey, we shouldn't we shouldn't we shouldn't discriminate. We shouldn't we shouldn't tell people Jesus is the only way. To believe in absolute truth that by the way, that this is absolute truth is the greatest of sins. And no one should act like they are the only ones who have the truth. And so they believe people can decide that for themselves. That the Bible is just a wisdom book that they can pick and choose the verses that's best suited for them. The lack of absolute truth is the main idea of this postmodern society that we live in, folks. But the problem is, Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the door. If any man enter in, hey, listen, he's the only way. And, and, and by the way, uh, listen, all those other ways, they're going to lead to one place, all right. It's called hell. He is the only way heaven then there's number five there's the self-help gospel the self-help i think joel osteen is the is the poster child for the self-help gospel he sold so many books on how to live your best life now if I, again i've said this a hundred times but i'll say it 101 if this is my best life now i must be going to hell because i'm going to heaven and my best life will be when i get to heaven my best life will not be down here People, you've heard people say, maybe you hadn't, but but this right here, this this is the only hell a Christian will ever experience. 
And this is the only heaven that a non-believer will ever experience. Think about that for a second. Again, the self-help gospel. They believe that because we're imperfect, it keeps us from living a satisfactory or a successful life. And they believe that Christ's death proves our worth as humans and gives us power to reach our potential. The church helps us to find earthly happiness, which is our main goal in life, to be happy down here. That's why he wrote his book, Your Best Life Now, because he wants all his importance is being happy down here right now. But you see, the Bible doesn't teach us that we're to seek happiness down here right now. The Bible tells us to lay, lay not treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal, but to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where they don't do those things. You see, those are the people, that the, the, the Joel Osteens, the Robert Schulers, the Norman Vincent Peels, those people, the power of positive thinking, the self-help gospel, that you can, you can, get, you can be the best person ever, that Jesus, Jesus came to make you the best person you could ever be down here. Now, I'm not, I'm not denying that, that being a believer can make you into a pleasant person that people want to be around. I'm not denying that having joy of the Lord in your life is not a wonderful thing and people won't want to be around you. But listen, Jesus did not come down here to make you the best person you could be. Somebody would sit back and admire you for who you are. I want you to understand that. That's, that's how these people look at it. But that's not what God says. No. God tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. He tells us what we are. God makes it plain. Every one of us has sinned. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Every single one of us. That, the word sin means to miss the mark. None of us are perfect. God's perfect. His heaven's perfect. And if we went there like we are, we'd mess heaven up. We could never be anything in heaven. We'd, we'd destroy the place because we're, we're sinners. And without, without Jesus' blood washing us clean, without him making us new and making us perfect in God's sight, there's no way we can do it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The cross doesn't prove your intrinsic worth. The cross proves that you need Jesus. The cross reconciles us to God. And number six, then there's the mythical gospel or the mystical gospel, however you want to put it. It teaches that salvation comes through an emotional experience with God. There's a lot of churches like this. There's a lot of them like this. They believe that the church is there to help you feel close to God by helping you along in your pursuit of a mystical union with God and with the universe. Uh, I'm not sure, quite frankly, if these are the churches that sit in the dark and hold candles and call Jesus their boyfriend, or if these are the churches like the Pentecostal charismatic churches where people fall out on the floor and shake and bark like a dog and wall around the floor and a dress goes up over their head. I'm not sure if that's what we're talking about, but I, I know this. I know it ain't about what you feel. I know it ain't about your flesh. I know it ain't about your feelings. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Naught else is worth believing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And listen, it ain't got nothing to do with the way you feel. I, I felt every which way since I've been saved. But those men ain't changed my salvation one bit because my salvation didn't come through feelings. My salvation came through the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my sinful, my sinful account, and God washed it clean. The Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I got into heaven because I was good, I'd strut around heaven with my chest puffed out, and I'd say, hey, none of y'all losers in here like I am. Because I was done to, I'm, man, I'm something else. God let me in because I how good I was. 
That ain't the way it works. In my hand, no price I bring, simply to thy cross claim. There's a lot of confusion around. Again, I, that's just a few. That's just a few that I've mentioned. By the way, the Unitarian Church that's over in Dallas, I got that off their website. Uh, with all the confusion around, Paul's warning, warning us to use spiritual discernment. Again, let's go back to who he's talking to. Who is he addressing? He's addressing he's addressing this church, and it's well, I've got my mouth turned over. He's addressing that church up in Thessalonica, which is which is up at the bottom edge of Europe. Okay, this this is a church which is right in the middle, again, right in the middle of paganism. There had never been any Christianity in that region of the world. All they had was the echoes of Babylonian idolatry that had landed there down through the ages. They'd worship this god and that god, this statue and that statue, and they believed all these crazy fairy tales that had been told to them down through the ages since the Tower of Babel. All right, and here comes Paul in there with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've never heard anything like it in their life. They were all a bunch of pagans worshiping, bowing down to idols and serving them. And when these people got saved and didn't do that anymore, again, everybody turned on them and said, hey, y'all are not like us anymore. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do something about it. And they began to persecute them. They began to cut them off from being able to earn a living. They began to ostracize them from daily life. They began to, to beat them up whenever, whenever they had an opportunity. They began to do everything they could to try to make their lives miserable. And these people were serving God in the face of all that and continuing on. And Paul said, hey, listen. He said, when you listen to preaching, make sure make sure it's the truth. Make sure they're telling you right. He said, prove. Prove all things. Check it out. Check it out by what I've told you. Don't just take it at face value. we got to search the Scriptures, whether they what they say is true or not. Listen, don't just take what I've said. Don't just take what I've said at face value. Again, Take it to your word of God. Take it to the Bible yourself and study what I've said. It's right there in First Thessalonians. Just read it and ask God to show you. We've got to search the scriptures. That's what Paul was telling them. He told them, and by the way, right up the road, and he wrote back to the Thessalonican church uh, um, and, and told them about it. Well, actually, he didn't. That was in Acts. I'm sorry. Acts 17, verse 11. I'm sure they knew about it, though. Hey, Luke said, Luke said these were more noble than they in Thessalonica. Those in Thessalonica, he's talking about right up the road in Berea which was the next to where they left Thessalonica. That's where they went to. It was in Berea. And Paul bragged on them. Luke bragged on them. He said they were more noble. They, they did things better than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Whatever the Bible says, hey, we'll go along with it. That's God's word. And they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Again, they didn't just take it at face value. They said, no, I want to make sure that's what God's saying. So they searched it themselves to make sure they were so. We're not to believe everything we hear. The Bible tells us not to. The Bible tells us to try the spirits. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, anybody, all they have to do is hold their, open their Bible and, and watch one of Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen. It wouldn't take long. They could prove that these guys are false prophets because they speak false words all the time. That's all they have to do. But again, they don't want to. They don't want to discern whether or not something's right or wrong. They just take it at face value. <clears throat> we're, to be, we're not. We're, listen. God doesn't want us always, always be fluctuating, always be searching, always be trying. God won't, doesn't want us to always stay unsettled. No, God wants to eventually get us settled in things so that we're not having to prove everything. So that we know what we're reading, we know what we believe, we know what we're following, and He tells us to hold fast to it. 
You can't hold fast to something if you're not settled on it. First Peter 5.10, Peter said, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, he says, after that you've suffered a while, and you've got to go, you've got to go through learning, you've got to go through changes, you've got to go through trials, you've got to go through things. He said, but after you've gone through those things, make you perfect. Now, that don't mean without sin. That means mature. That means grown up. That means the difference between a little kid and a grown man. A grown man knows a whole lot more than a little kid does. He says, make you, make you perfect. Establish you. I mean, that means, you're un- that means you don't move. That means you're not shoved around very easily. You know what you believe. Strengthen and settle you. That's what God will do. You just stay in the Word. You keep following. You keep trusting. You keep reading. You keep believing. You keep you keep looking to Jesus, and he's going to make you mature in his Word. It don't make no difference how old you are. It don't make no difference how long you've studied the Bible. Listen, there are, people, there are young people that know more in the Word of God than old people because old people haven't studied the Bible. Those people haven't been saved but, but, but a year that's, that's got a whole lot more Bible knowledge than people have been saved for 40, 50 years. It just depends on whether or not you're following God or not, whether you want to know God. Because if you want to know him, he wants you to know him worse than you want to know him. I promise you that. But again, when we're satisfied with that, that we understand what God has said, we understand something that God's word has said and we believe it. But listen, and we know it's right and we know it's true and we know it's good. We ought to hold on to it tight because I promise you, the devil will try to take it from you. We ought to not never let it go, no matter what the culture says. Because believe you, believe you me, the culture is going to try to strip you away from your Christianity. It's going to try to take the things that you believe and the things that you practice away from you. We ought not let culture do that to us. Society do that to us. Government persecution do that to us. I'm telling you right now, we're not far away from the day where they're going to say, if you, if you talk about Jesus in public, you're breaking laws. Listen, they're almost there in Canada. They're getting very close in Canada. They, they, they've got that some some of that works in England. They'll arrest you in certain places for for, for preaching the gospel. And, and folks, it's coming here. It's already begun in certain areas and more liberal parts of the country. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs twenty three twenty three. It says, "Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding." God says, buy it. You need it. All you can get. Get your hands on all you can get on. Get your hands on the truth. And don't ever let go of it. Because let me tell you something. When you, when you, when you sell the truth, what do, you mean? Somebody says, what do you mean sell the truth? Well, all you get is a lie in return. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Y'all know who Katy Perry is, right? The artist. From what I understand, she grew up in a Christian home. Had Christian parents. Y'all know who Britney Spears is, right? What I understood, she grew up in a, in a, a church-going home, none, nothing else. But you see what the world did to both of them. They're both now God-haters. Both now, both now want nothing to do with God. And how did that happen? They sold the truth. And you know what they got in return? They got lies. They got lies in return. And pretty soon... They're going to come to their end, and they're going to wish they'd never sold the truth. They're going to wish they'd proved that God was the one who was reward them and not the devil. They're going to wish soon that they had latched on to the things of God and looked for heavenly things rather than looked for earthly things. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, too, and be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God says get rid of the world. Don't be conformed to it because the world, again, will suppress you into its mold. Like I told you, like I used to take Play-Doh and press it into them Flintstones mold to make Barney and Fred. Listen, the world wants to take you and shove you and say, no, you've got to be like us. You've got to fit in with us. You've got to look like us, walk like us, and talk like us, and act like us, and listen to what we listen to, and watch what we watch, and look at what we look at on the Internet. You've got to do all those things like us, or you're weird, and we don't like you, and we'll ostracize you. The Bible says, be not conformed. Resist. Fight it. Resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You don't have to give in. You don't have to be run over. You don't have to be taken advantage of. God doesn't have that for you. God would that you'd be strong. God would that you'd, you'd look to him for strength, and he'd be your strength. And you'd resist the devil and, and cling to God and submit to him. That's what the Bible tells us to do. It tells us in the book of James to resist the devil. And we do that by fighting his efforts to conform us to this world. And we accomplish that by holding fast to that which is good and not letting go of it. Not being somebody who will just be wishy-washy and do whatever. No, we got to have some convictions. we got to dig our heels in, and we got to stand for the Word of God. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He said your love may abound. Listen, we're not angry people. We're not mad at nobody. I just ain't going to have the devil take, take away what, what God has given me. I'm not going to let the devil destroy what God has built in my life. I ain't mad at nobody. But I sure don't like the devil. I can tell you that right now. I'm mad at him. Amen. He's mad at me. We've got a pretty good agreement going there. But God wants us, God says, he says that your love may abound. This, again, this is about love. He said it in knowledge and in all judgment. So get this. The more you get to know God, the more you prove what is right. And so again, how do you prove it? You take what you've heard and you bring it back to the Word of God and you apply it. You lay it down by the, beside it and see if it's right. And when you see that what you've heard is right, you hold to it. You say, okay, God said that, and I believe it. People used to say, preachers used to say, God believe it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, they're wrong. God said it, and that settles it. Don't make no difference if you believe it or not. Amen? That's all that matters is whether God said it or not. But listen. God, God said he wants us to abound in knowledge. So when the more we know him, the more we hold on to, he said, and in all judgment. Once you know God and you know his will, you're able to make judgments according to his word, and that way you don't make judgments according to this world and hurt yourself. And he said, and that you may approve things that are excellent. Well, how do you know what's good and what's not, what's excellent? You've got to get in the word. And he says, and in doing that, that you may be sincere and without offense unto the day of Christ. All right? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. The more grounded we are in Scripture, the more we know Christ, and the more we understand his love and communicate it to other people. And it also give us the ability to understand things that are excellent, meaning that they're in the will of God, and it speaks to us of being sincere and without offense. Now, that surely is not speaking of us avoiding offense in the world because we're going to offend this world. Again, when you, when you tell folks that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, that offends the world because the world says, there ain't one way, there can't be one way. Yeah, there is. Yes, there is. 
There's only one. There's only one that paid the price for your sins, and that's Jesus Christ. We're going to offend the world, but I, listen, I'm not worried about the world. I'm not worried about offending the world. I, I'm, I'm more worried about offending God than I am this world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in total opposition to this world, and we need to get over worrying about offending the world with the truth and just preach the truth. Because the truth is the only thing that's going to save anybody out of this world. We're told to meditate on the truth in order that we might not be taken advantage of by evil thoughts. i got to hurry, y'all. I know I do. I'm going to try to. we got we got to meditate on the truth so that we're not taken advantage of. The Bible tells us we're to be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, when that thought comes into your mind, say I don't want that in my I don't want that in my mind. God, remove that thought from my mind. I don't want to think like that. You don't have to sit and dwell on things. Listen, evil thoughts are gonna pass through your mind. You can't stop that. You know, a bird can land on your head, but you don't have to let it build a nest. You know, swat it off. Listen, that thought comes to your mind. Swat it down. That's what God tells us to do. In other words, we got to hold the good things. We got to get rid of the things in our life that don't belong there, so we can't hold to the good things. But you need discernment. You need to be able to tell what's right and wrong. And we ought to be able to discern between good and evil, between truth and lies. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And he's talking about milk there. Like, you know, when you feed a little toddler, you can't give them a steak. They can't chew it. Okay, And when a person first gets in the Bible, they're not going to understand everything. They're not going to understand all the deep things of God, but they can understand the easy things. That's the milk. And he says when somebody gets there and, they start, and they're first starting to understand things, they use milk. That's the way he describes it. And they're unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, the Bible says. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use. In other words, listen. You may start a job and sit down at a, at, a, at a machine that you're to run, and you don't know nothing about that machine. You're scared to death. Stay there 15 years. You run and you sleep. That's the difference between somebody who just got saved who's trying to understand the Bible and somebody who's been in the Bible for 15 years or somebody who's been in the Bible for a year. You understand a lot more. You've grown a lot more. You've proven God's word to be true, and now you're holding to the things that are good. God don't want us to stay in a state of confusion. God wants us to latch on to things and, and get and get solid. We ought not always be seekers or fluctuating in our mind. God intends for us to grow up. And and he says in, in Ephesians four fourteen, and I'm closing, that we henceforth be no more children. That's what Paul was saying to that church Thessalonica. I don't want y'all to stay children of the Lord. I don't want y'all to stay babies. I don't want y'all to say, well, we don't know nothing and we can't do nothing. He wanted them to grow up. He wanted them... He wanted them to, to, to uh, take responsibility as believers for learning. Get in the Bible. Stay in it. Read it. Know what it says and hold to what it says. Don't be one of these people that says, you know, well, I don't know what the Bible says, so, you know, I just go along. No, get in it. God wants you to understand it. If you'll get in it and you'll stay in it and you'll read it and you'll pray, I promise you, you'll understand. If a dummy like me can understand it, you can understand it. I promise you that. He says that we be no more henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Because men will try to deceive you. And cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
again, like a Satan, Satan in the garden, as a snake, as a serpent, he lay, he lay in wait, wait for Eve to pass through there. And he will lay in wait for her to deceive her. And what did he say? Hath God said? Did God really say that? He wants to question the integrity of God's word. He always has since the garden, and he's going to continue to do it to this day, and he'll keep doing it. And what you need to do is get in the word and quit worrying about what the devil's whispering in your ear. You just need to hold to the word of God. And the Bible tells us that, that, that we not be children, but that we grow up. And verse 15 says, but we speak in the truth in love. Speaking that, that's, that's, the, that's the epitome of what a Christian is. We, we, we're to speak the truth in love. Again, you know, the, the great thing about being a Christian is you're not telling somebody something you've done bad that you haven't been through already in yourself. You're not telling somebody, hey, you're a sinner. Man, you, you, you're the worst sinner I've ever seen. No, it's not like that at all. Hey, we're all born with the same sinful condition. Every one of us, every baby that's drawing a breath and crying over there in the hospital this morning in Paris, every one of them got a sin nature. They don't know it yet, but they do. And it'll be revealed. I guarantee you, I got a two-year-old daughter. She don't know. She don't understand Christianity in one bit. But you know what? She's got a sin nature. And I tell you, if I tell her no, you'll see it. She'll set the floor and she'll scream and pull a fit and stomp her feet and slap her hands against the floor and everything. Else. It's in us. And when we come, when we come to share that with somebody else, believe you me, that's humbling. That's humbling to have to sit and tell somebody else that they're lost, that they're, they're sinners. But we all were sinners, every one of us. And the only difference between me and somebody that's not saved is that mine was forgiven. Because I came and I submitted myself to the blood of Jesus Christ. I came and accepted that God gave his only begotten son that he sent him into this world and that he was born of a virgin. He had no sin nature of his own. That's why he was born of a virgin. Because if he'd have been born of a man, he'd have inherited sin nature. But because he didn't have a sin nature, he was perfect. And he, he fulfilled every everything that God required. Down to the last dotting of an eye and crossing of the T. He did everything that was necessary. And they, they crucified him. They rejected him. They crucified him. And he died on that cross. And he, he was punished by God himself. Punished Jesus the way he would have punished me. And Jesus bore my punishment. And because of that, God let him suffer, let him die, but it satisfied the wrath of God. Three days later, just like it had been prophesied, the stone will go on the and he walked out of his blood, and he's alive evermore. He paid the debt. On the cross, the last thing he cried out, he said, it is finished. That word, it is, the word for it is finished is to tell us that. It's a Greek word that means paid in full. My sins, your sins, have all been paid in full. And the difference between mine and the person who might save is that they have not come to receive the gift of eternal life that God has made possible through the payment of their and, and I know there are people listening this morning. I know there are people that are listening in on Facebook Live. I know there are people listening in on Blog Talk Radio. And I don't know everybody's heart. I don't know where everybody's at. But I can tell you this. If they're lost this morning, all they have to do this morning is to come, not here, but they, just to come to God. And, 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 and say to him, and again, it's not the words, it's what you believe and what you mean from your heart. Come to God and say something to him like, Lord, I know that I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your laws. And I know, I know Lord, that, that, I, that I can't go to heaven this way. But I want to. I want to go to heaven. And I know that I've got to be forgiven. All they have to do is come to Jesus. 
Come, just come in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. I believe you died for my sins to pay my to pay the debt I couldn't pay, and I'll receive that as your gift. And that's what he says. The Bible tells us the gift of God is eternal life for forever and ever and ever through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's a gift. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough to do it to get it. There's nothing you can do but receive it by faith. And if you do that this morning, all a person has to do is, is in prayer. We're going to have a song in a minute. All you'd have to do is bow your head and, and, and pray and ask the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please save my soul. And if you do that, he'll save your soul this morning. That's all you'd have to do, wherever you're at. If you're at home, bow down there right next to your couch, wherever you're at. If you're on the road, pull over and stop and, and on the shoulder and pray. Whatever you got to do, wherever you're at, trust the Lord. Don't die and go to hell. Well, no matter what you do, let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, 163. We're going to go to the Lord in the word of prayer while sister's coming. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just love you so much. I thank you for allowing me to preach this morning. Lord, I pray that you use the word of God, Father, that you draw sinners to, to salvation, Father. I pray, Lord, that you work in the hearts of your people and remind us, Lord, that no matter what, we're to hold what's good. We're to prove, Lord, what's good by your word. We're to hold to it. And we're to stand firm. And our convictions, Lord, we're to stand firm on the word of God. Help us to make a commitment to you. But, Lord, once we understand the truth, we will never budge from it. That we will stand on the word of God and stand on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for that. Please, Lord, save sinners this morning. I pray you, you'll use the message now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing number 163. The Lord speak your heart by Sunday's offering for open. Come to this Come back tonight at 6. We'll be back here at 6 o'clock this evening. You pray for me. Uh, get everything sorted out in my life and get everybody back.